Good day, nerds. This is Megan coming at you with another Cantina Conversation. Today's episode features a chat with Amy K. Runyon. We're talking about A Bakery in Paris. That book is available now, so you can get it and read it as soon as you want to. This was a really cool chat. I really enjoyed learning about Amy's experiences and what draws her to historical fiction and why she tends to gravitate towards um, setting her her books in France and in Paris, uh, learning about her experiences there. And also, we kind of get into um, the idea of baking and how important and and significant that was to to the way of life for like so many so many people um especially during times of conflict uh but either way i'll let you guys get to it here is amy k runyon Today, we've got Amy K. Runyon. We're talking about a bakery in Paris that is available now. Thank you, Amy, for joining us. This was such a fun book. I just really enjoyed, I don't know, I have I really enjoy historical fiction more than I thought I would. And when you throw in like just that element of that shared, the, the food component, the <laughs> cooking component, I feel like that just kind of just really helps add another layer to like that hominess and that authenticity and just set in, um, you know, Paris and it was, it just brought it to life. So I, but we'll get into it, but, um, you know, I really enjoyed this title and thanks for talking today. Oh, thank you for having me. And I'm so glad you enjoyed the book, Megan. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's so funny because you also wrote Daughters of the Night Sky. Well, you wrote, you wrote a bunch of other titles too, but I remember yes. I, um, read Daughters of the Night Sky, Night Sky. I think it was like an Amazon first reads. Mm-hmm. And it sure was. I, yeah. <laughs> and I chose it and I remember really enjoying that. And then kind of like, it, I just kind of moved on with my life reading other books, but then I like was doing research on you just to like kind of get to know you mm-hmm. preparing for our chat. And I was like, holy shit, she wrote that book. I was like, yeah, that's me. Yeah. I didn't realize it was the same one. So I was like, oh, no wonder I enjoyed this one too. Like you've got a knack for historical fiction for sure. But um, before we get into all that, I just wanted to be like, oh my God, I read her. I totally read her book already. I already like her, you know? <laughs> Um, so can you give like a summary, uh, of a bakery in Paris? So listeners who might not have picked up the book already can follow the conversation. Yeah. Um, it is a dual timeline, um, split between 1870 and 1871 for the first half, which is the time period of the siege of Paris when, um, right around the, the end of the Franco-Prussian war. And the Paris Commune are the two big historical events in that time frame. And the other half is set in 1946. So post World War II. <clears throat> and it takes, it follows two women. We have Lisette in the first, um, uh, the first thread and Micheline in the second thread, both of whom are there. Um, Micheline is Lisette's great granddaughter and they end up finding their path forward through the same bakery. Um, their, their paths are very different. But they, there are, there are some common elements in that they are both dealing with Paris during her darkest hours. Um, we have, you know, when the siege of Paris, it was literally surrounded by the Prussian troops and, you know, the, so German troops. It's the first of the three times they got into a big skirmish and the Germans took over Paris, but they encircled Paris, which is a walled city and people were starving to death. And it really was 
a very dark period and things went so poorly that um, the people of Paris, the common working class people of Paris, rose up and said, we're going to govern ourselves. We're tired of the monarchy. And we talk so much about the Fr the French Revolution being the end of the monarchy. And it wasn't. They had a monarchy mm -hmm. reestablished 12 years later. Mm -hmm. But um, so the people rose up and said, we've had enough. And they tried their hand at governing themselves. And they were set down very violently by the Versailles, which is the imperial army. Um, but the end result was that they never had a monarchy again in France because the reprisal was so swift that even the people who were sympathetic with the monarchy thought that they'd gone too far. Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then um, 1946, we're obviously rebuilding from World War II, which is such a dark period. And so many books, some of mine included, is that you've got a plucky heroine. She might be a spy. She's probably French. She's going to come in and save the day and everything <laughs> is going to be great. And then they win and the Nazis go home and we all live happily ever after. And there's probably some kissing and it's lovely. <laughs> but the truth was it was a dark period. Um, it was a very dark period. And we associate the Parisian, the French and especially Parisians with being aloof. And I think a lot of that was born from the world wars when they learned that they couldn't trust people. And um, so this has explores a bit of that dark side of the post-war era. Absolutely. And through the eyes of, of said women, you know, which mm -hmm. I think it's such, um, I really like how you paralleled their stories. Cause it's like, I notice how I, and like, she chose to try not to be spoiler free. She ends up in poverty, kind of knowing that she's heading that route I just found that fascinating how that kind of like matched up too, because to make her own dreams come true or, or to, to really make something more of herself and, and you, you know, utilize those skills and that history, that family history that she didn't know she had, you know? So I, th I just thought that was really cool. Kind of like examining also that socioeconomic uh, effect of between mm -hmm. the two timelines and how even then there it's the bakery that, Held so much of that history that they didn't even know about. I thought that, yeah, I just thought that was so cool. And <laughs> with all the recipes that you include in there too, um, I, I kind of want to talk about that a little bit because in addition to like all the research that you had to do, cause I'm, I'm sure that, you know, your background are all, do you typically write historical fiction? Yeah, that's been um, heretofore what I've written exclusively. Yes. I am branching out into um, contemporary women's fiction. In okay. February, I have my first, my debut commercial, uh, you know, contemporary women's fiction coming out um, set in France. So it's like yeah. if you enjoy a bakery in Paris, it's going to you're going to love the memory of lavender and sage because it's foodie. It's set in the south of France. It's it's a little bit more of a virtual vacation with some like serious social undertones because it's me. You know, I set out <laughs> to do something light and fun. And it's like, oh, let's talk about the plight of village life in France. It's dying. Let's do it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah with um, a bakery in Paris. So, yeah, the bakery is really central and the cooking is absolutely essential because, you know, bread was, we can't overstate the importance of bread in the French diet in the 19th century. It was the staple of everybody's diet. So Lisette, who comes from a life of luxury, where there were boulangerie on every corner in the center of France, and, you know, France, Paris, or center of Paris, excuse me, um, you know, Paris may not seem like geographically a large city, but it is, it really is. And, um, you know, to walk from one end to the other is quite an ordeal. And, you know, we talk about food deserts today and it being a modern problem, but it was even back then. And in the more working class parts of Paris, of which Montmartre was definitely the heart of the working class of Paris, 
Um, if you had to walk a half an hour to a bakery, that's an hour out of your day. And it was like not optional. It was not optional. And we all know that French bread doesn't last, you know, to the point where you can buy it a few days in advance and they might not have had the money to buy a stockpile of bread and baking your own. Uh, I mean, that's, you know, assuming that they had much in the way of a kitchen, they might have mm. a, you know, some sort of a fire or a hot plate, but to actually bake bread would have been quite an undertaking. Yeah, you do well to point out the parallel because Lisette, born of privilege, Micheline, yeah. born into to difficult circumstances, she's left to basically raise, this isn't too big of a spoiler, it's her inciting incident. She's left to raise her, her younger sisters because her dad was killed in the early days of the war, which happened, a lot of Frenchmen died very yeah. early in the war. And then their mother goes missing. And, you know, Micheline, Micheline's main impetus for most of her book is trying to find her mother because I mean, she needs her mom. She wants her again. She's 19 and mm. left to raise an eight and 12 year old child to wait eight and 12 year old children. And she desperately, you know, needs her guidance and also wants her mom to take her job back a little bit. Yeah. Um, but I mean, she's 19. I wanted to make her relatable. Um, and granted 19 and 1946 is perhaps, you know, we could expect more of a 19 year old young lady in 1946 than we might in 2023 yeah <laughs> but all the same that is a huge burden to put on you know a, a what is essentially a child mm. um without her say so you know and yeah. so she's left in a hard spot and she finds her salvation through baking whereas her great-grandmother you know she seeks to be part of the neighborhood and to help through the bakery yeah yeah absolutely um so kind of hopping off of that when you usually did you approach this title like with your research and everything did you kind of approach it like the same way as your previous titles was there like any anything different that stood out and biggest lessons learned if 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 at mm-hmm. all you know both research with the historical uh you know aspect of it and also just the baking part of it because yeah. you get you get you get it gets pretty intense in that you know in that and that those, yeah. that education that she goes through <laughs> yeah well and i you know i love baking so a lot of that was pretty natural of course researching you know i kind of made up a fictional baking school because i didn't want to just toss her in the cordon bleu because that seemed trite and so i made <laughs> one up um but i did kind of research you know what the baking school would have entailed um, and compared it with modern baking schools and what they would have been like. They probably, I can't assume that for the most part, the curriculum has changed much. Um, because it's all based on carême and all the recipes you see in the book are adaptations of original carême recipes for the most part that I just made more readable. And I made them more like a journal in that, um, most of the entries are from Lisette. And so she ends, she edits her own notes. Uh, you know, like, oh, I'm going to add chocolate. I want to add citrus and to make them a bit more readable and to give her great granddaughter an insight into her life. Yeah. Um, and I didn't want to do the whole trope. I found my great grandmother's diary slash, you know, recipe book because it's been done a million times. But if it comes her good luck talisman, it's not like this mystical thing. It's a good luck charm. And then she starts adding to it because it becomes a living document. And that's what I wanted for them. Um, yeah. for, because it, it's, it's her kind of accepting the reins of the bakery and becoming part of its tradition. Yeah, definitely. I love that too. Yeah. It's tricky to, to try to be original when something that's been done. And then also exactly. Even, it is and it also when it, yeah. And then also when it seems like, like, no, this is, this would be a perfect way to connect them. You know, it's like, like, what do you do? How do you like add, how do you add, you know, pump it up a little bit? How do you add your own flair even after the substance, you know, like mm-hmm. of a lot of their relationship and how 
you know, I think even they both like kind of grow. Like I feel like Lisette knowing that obviously become wanting to become a part of the community and like writing down those notes and those recipes and discovering more about herself in that regard. I think that definitely helps her grow. Um, and then with uh, Micheline, when she's reading it and she's going through the steps and then she's like, Oh, and like, she sees, like you said, that, that personality, like, like it's, mm-hmm. it adds so much more like those notes add so much more to like understanding the context and understanding the personality of someone long deceased you know and and just to try like help you get in their their mind a little bit into what they must have how their brain worked and how they figured things out and what they were going through and i thought yeah i thought it was really cool really powerful but it was like i was like oh like does she because i'm like at at first i was like does she know like does she know that this belonged to her great-grandmother like does she know about all the like the drama and the the you know the heartbreak and, and all that stuff that happened and then i think of it's it came off the pages eventually she she did but also like she, like you said she had her own shit to deal with she was wondering what the heck happened to her mom she was she wouldn't let it go she was trying to raise her kids like raise her sisters and it that it was always in like almost the back of her mind or even at the front of exactly her mind. it was always on her mind we're like wait no i can't get home too late because the girls i don't want the girls to think that i've disappeared too it's things like that where it's just mm-hmm. yeah like you said it just forces her to grow up and and to to handle these responsibilities that you know yeah and she had zero time to go off wondering about you know this this wonderful magical recipe book of her great-grandmother's and so that helped me get get away from that trope a little bit um but she did enjoy feeling connected to her great-grandmother and she enjoyed not feeling so alone Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I think that that was, you know, that was kind of the, you know, feeling some connection to her past um, when she feeling absolutely unmoored. Yeah. And so, you know, that journal really, you know, does represent an anchor to the past. And of course, Laurent is her guide to the future. The I liked interest. him. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I too. <laughs> he's like almost, you know, perfect boyfriend adjacent, you know, like he he's just rooting for her and he like helps her and he's rooting for her and he's like, not like tough love, but you know, he's not like, he encourages her. And, and I love that. I love that's like such, that's such like an important, I mean, personally for me, that's like an important part of like any ideal mm-hmm. partner, you know, or even character or in life the fact that they encourage you and try to help you be better. I loved that. Absolutely. For her too. Cause she needed it. Cause she didn't really have anyone else. She didn't. And, mm-hmm. and just to have that shared experience, like he, you know, he was going, he was going through that same scrutiny too. And he was like, you know, but maybe because he, he had a crush on her, that's why he, he wanted to help her. But, so, <laughs> you know, but, you know I, I like to think that he would have, even if she'd said, bro, not interested, mm-hmm. even though, you know, she, she didn't have a lot of bandwidth to be interested, Exactly. but she, I think that she, uh, uh he would have helped her anyway because he's a good person. I like to think that this is all head cannon. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I like to think that he would have helped her anyway um, for her sake and for the, the girls. Yeah. Um, once he met the girls, he's like, yeah, she needs my help. I've got to make sure if nothing else, I'm going to do my best to help her, you know, graduate baking school. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. I, I really enjoyed him as a character. It was like, Oh, you can't do, he can't do wrong. <laughs> No, he's a sweet pea. He's a sweet pea. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So what 
what draws you to historical fiction since that seems to be your like specialty genre, um, at least for now, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, and I, I'm definitely not leaving behind historical fiction. Um, you know, of course the market ebbs and flows and I have to be yeah. fluid and, and think about what the next best thing is, but I will always have a line of historical fiction as long as somebody will buy my stuff. Um, for sure. But I was drawn to it in the most organic way possible, which is as a reader. I remember like even when I was young, it was stuff that was set a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. You know, <laughs> you know like, um, you know, uh, I remember really young, like middle school reading, you know, everybody was reading Sweet Valley High books, but then they had this, saga. it was the story of their family tree. All, uh, they did one with all the women on their mother's side, like all the from when they graded from Sweden up through like the 1920s, et cetera, and so forth. And then they did another one with the women on their father's side. And I loved it. I absolutely loved it. There were lots of love connections. And um, I just loved the historical setting. And I always gravitated for it in lighter reading, like historical romance. And then um, I remember when I was in college, I was on a, a break and I got in a gift certificate to a bookstore for Christmas and I did not have any assigned reading and I wanted to read something for fun because, you know, we know reading for pain is college. And <laughs> um, I asked my uncle, what should I read? And he's like, well, if you like historical stuff, read um, Pillars of the Earth by Ken Follett. And I fell in love. I fell in love. And that's one of the two books I think that shaped me kind of as an artist that and um the book is escaping my mind. I, um, 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 the Handmaid's Tale by Margaret oh, Atwood, yeah. which is just one of those books where I felt like it shone a light on feminist issues because yeah. I remember growing up thinking, oh, you know, women's lib was like a 1960s thing. And then you get a little bit older and you realize, oh, no, we have so far to come. Yeah. And so blending those two love, you know, the fact, you know, the women's issues and the historical, you know, the love of historical stories, it just happened organically. Mm hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I, I I'm kind of with you there because now I'm like, the more I read it, the more I, I read books that are in that genre, the more I'm like, I, I find that I enjoy it. So I'm right there with you. I think it's just fascinating because it's like anybody who's like a history nerd, um, mm -hmm. obviously, like knows that literature is tied to to historical events like you know mm -hmm. whether it's political or um you know revolutionary or like you said rights of women things like that like whatever happened was happening in the current events whether it's like now or you know 50 years ago or like you know 300 years ago it's it really adds that extra little insight into how how things were because you can read it from a textbook but you don't get like get the inside of, of, for example, you know, a woman uh, who is struggling to or a town anyway, like struggling to feed themselves like the, mm -hmm. the life, how life was. Or at least, you know, people can go find those <laughs> those materials on their own if they're curious enough. But, yeah, I just kind of think back of to like what I know and it's from school mm -hmm. and it's really just like facts and it's not. You know, it's descriptions and facts. It's not necessarily like diving into that, like the literature is there for that. The, the, the psyche. Bit. Yeah. And the mm -hmm. emotional reality of it. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Because I think about it like, oh, my God, like the more I read about this historical fiction, the more I'm able to like kind of um, sympathize with people who are who have had to go through things like that. And even mm -hmm. people who are going through it now, it's it's, you know, a little window into into yeah like that psyche like how you were saying because i i just i don't know i'm i'm a sucker for thrillers and i'm i'm finding myself that i'm a sucker for historical fiction so i appreciate it 
Well, right good historical, yeah, good historical fiction will have a commentary on the social reality of today. Yeah. I mean, if you look at a bakery in Paris, I mean, it, the the plight between the haves and the have-nots during the 1870s, yeah, and you know the fact that there were food deserts and just the the absolute disparate nature of the the working class and the moneyed class, yeah, and you know how they're driven to extremes because. You know, it seems like, you know, the money class is going to do everything they can to eke every last dime out of their profits and their workers be damned. And yeah. we see that, you know, we had a period of great you know, or better wealth equality um, post-World War II, and we see it declining again. And so, you know, it's kind of a cautionary tale. This happened before. <sighs> and, yeah. And so... Um, we see that again. And of course, you know, the post-World War II, we see how hard it is for a woman to make her way in a society that does not much cater towards single women. And, you know, this it's the plight of the single mother, and which is a tale as old as time. Yeah. And even though it's, and she's a single mother, not by choice and not really a mother, but she's ta- forced to take on that role. Yeah. Kind of commenting on that. Cause I think like there are some, there's some, you know, attitudes about, how today, you know, cause it's, it's, yeah, like you said, we still have a long way to go, but I like appreciate mm-hmm. the progress that we've made so far. Unfortunately, oh, for sure. Sometime, sometimes, although it seems like some parts of the country are moving backward, you know, but either way, <laughs> that's neither here nor there, yeah. or, or we'll go down another rabbit hole if we, if we get into <laughs> it. Um, but yeah, and it's, I just think like any, anybody who's like, well, you know, women are equal, blah, blah, blah. I was like, no, dude, like we didn't, we weren't, women weren't able to like have a, their own credit card until, until like, 1973 yeah something like that yeah i when it's i like learned that i was memory. like yeah when i learned that i was like dude I, <laughs> any argument i just wanted to shut up with that simple fact like you know any man who's like oh like the world's against us right now i'm like you will never have to worry about the ability like the 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 legality the alone yeah. yeah, to 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 own your own property, to marry who you want to marry, to vote. You've never that's never been threatened for you. It was the mm-hmm. default. It was the, you know, it was like the not the exception, it was the norm. Like the exception the exception that people from those groups have had to fight for was like the right to vote, the right to to marry, the right to own own their like just become self-sufficient, like essentially, just to have equal rights and that's it's just not just about you know, it just spans so many like sectors of life, like where it's, it's, it's financially, or I don't know what the word for it, but just being able like self-sufficient, just being able to like have, have autonomous. You know, yes. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> just to have like agency over your own life and, and, mm-hmm. you know, not having, not feeling trapped in these certain paths or having to like get permission to, to do what you need to do to, to, you know, get your shit together. And it's, it's exactly. Yeah. Well, and if if you look at the laws, um, single women who had come of age and widows or women who never married had, um, you know, they they existed almost on equal terms with men in the law. But then there were things like not being able to get a credit card, not being able to co-sign for a loan that forced women back into marriage, uh, you know, against their will, perhaps, because the path forward alone was almost impossible. Yeah. And I mean, I, I, you can imagine as recently as 1973, my parents were married in 1969. This is not that long ago. Right. Yeah. And I mean, I was, you know, I was born, you know, in the seventies, almost barely, just barely. 
And, you know, so it's in the decade in which I was born, um, where women were basically kind of economic, you know, forced into a, a situation of economic subservience because they were, the system was designed to keep them tethered to a man, yeah. whether it be their husband or their father. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I'm like, I kind of think about like, oh man, if I was, you know, my personality, I'm like, if I was born 50 years earlier, would I, you know, which, would I be part of the group that's fighting for my rights or would I be the type that's just kind of not wanting to ruffle any feathers and would just like, you know, accept, you know, I think about that because I like, I definitely value my independence and I'm definitely like, you know, I, I have my own full-time job, but it's, it's, you know, in addition to my husband's and I mean, but I think, you know, partially that's because it's really difficult to live on one, you know, yes. one, one household income for if you're raising a family or if you want to own a house and things like that, it's, it's very difficult. I don't know how some people do it. Kudos to them. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it's, it's just like, I think about that too. And like reading the, these books, like with, with that, and even with daughters in the night sky, I'm like, man, would I have been part of that like special group of, of uh fierce women, fighter pilots, mechanics, all that. Like what I have, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if I would have yeah. you, cause it depends on like the context of, of the lifestyle, right? Like what, what we were raised exactly. to believe. Like, well, cause my mom, you know, um, my parents were born in the fifties and so they were alive like mm-hmm. during, and it's crazy to think about like, oh yeah, that was in their lifetime too. Um, but it was like, it's, it's interesting to learn. Cause my mom, I grew up, my mom, was a working parent. So I had two working parents. So that mm-hmm. never, that just seems like totally normal. Like that's where, what I could do. Like it would, it didn't seem like, Oh, like, cause I imagine if she was a stay at home mom, I might've been less likely to like pursue that. It's just, just assume that that was for me too, you know, or, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. it, it, like it depends on how women were raised back then versus like the attitudes of the newer generations now and how yeah, that's- you would have been raised very differently. Yeah. And so, you know, we, I think a lot of us put ourselves in the, the place of the heroines in historical fiction. I would have been hiding those little Jewish children away yeah. from the evil Nazis. And yeah. the reality is, would you have, it would have right. been you know, risking your entire family. Yes. If you were a wife and a mother, you, you might've thought twice about it because yes. You know, you would have been putting your own life and that of your children at risk. And, you know, when you become a mother, that's when shit gets real, you know, and that's why, you know, I picked up and dropped my first book was Promise to the Crown. And it's about women going over to from France to Canada to marry and have Canadian babies. And um, I tried and tried and tried to write that book over the course of 10 years. And it wasn't until I became a mother that that everything clicked for that book. And it's because it is really, really hard to, um, yeah, it's really hard to put yourself in those shoes until you've worn them. Uh, Yeah. And and it doesn't necessarily mean being a biological mother, but loving somebody more than you love yourself. And that is something for them. Yeah. Yes. And being responsible for somebody who needs 24 hour day care, that sort of thing, who is, you know, dependent on you to learn how to live. That is a completely different um, set of responsibilities that you can't fully prepare yourself for. I remember the best piece of advice I ever got before I became a mother was you can't prepare for this. No. No. And that, that, you know, it puts everything in context. You can read Dr. Spock and every other book that you want to. Um, but it will not prepare you for the realities of parenthood. And so, um, you know, if you put your, if you realize that, you know, you think of all these plucky heroines, that's why we like reading about them because they were the exception, not the rule. 
Yeah. Um, they broke the rules to, yeah. and they did what they had to do to, you know, help their cause, et cetera, and so forth. But they're, you know, they're not the every woman. And that's what makes these stories special. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You're absolutely right um, about all of that, especially with, mm-hmm. yeah, with parenting. It's just like, I love that you say like, yeah, absolutely. There's no way that you could prepare for it. And I even like, I think someone said to me, like, pregnancy is the easy part. And <laughs> And that kind mm-hmm. of like, because, you know, when you're pregnant, you're just like, oh, my God, this sucks. And like, get, get, it, out, when they, get it out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like, well, once it comes and like the real work begins. And and yeah. once that was said to me, like pregnancy is the easy part. I think that kind of like, it, like nothing like I didn't get like an epiphany or anything, but that was definitely it helped put things into like more realistically, like like maybe, you know, it it. I had more realistic expectations as, you know, as, as opposed to like what I thought, what I thought I knew based on, you know, either Mm -hmm. my, my sister's kids or my friends who had had kids, you know, in the years prior to I, me getting pregnant. And so, but yeah, you're absolutely right. It's like that. I just tell people the only like un unrequested advice I would give is to just like take one day at a time because, you know, even kids for, for people who are, kids uh parents of teenagers it's like it's still like a new level for them right they're still learning yeah it's always the bar every time you think you got it mastered it's another bar exactly let me tell you the age between like eight and 12 is so wonderful it's such a sweet spot (laughs) and my kid my my kids are 10 and 12 right now and they're young enough that they want to hang out with me but not so old that they're me it's great yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they're old enough that but they're old enough to be interesting and be able to do stuff. And they're yeah. independent. Like I don't have to wash behind their ears. And yes. you know, it's great. It's great. Yes. And yes. it's one of those things, where, you know, it's not linear either. It's a, the difficulty of parenting is not linear. Mm-mm. Like you, you master one, you know, it's like, like even when I, I like video example, games, man, you yeah. think you got it mastered <laughs> and then you level up. Oh, exactly. It's like, yeah. you've got this down. Okay. Now you're going to deal with this. Like, like we're going to step it up a bit. And like, yeah, exactly. That's what I tell people who, you know, like you, once you, cause I feel like I could take care of anybody's newborn. I got it. Toddler. Oh, yeah. You got to let me know what, what the real, you know, you got to let me know what's up because mine is like a spawn of Satan. Like he is just, but I don't want to discourage it because like he's exploring his world and he's just, you know, experimenting with life essentially, you know, it's like, I'm not going to tell him not to jump in a puddle, even though if it's like making trouble for me, I'm like, no, he needs to do that. Like he needs to like experiment mm-hmm. and see what water does when he jumps in. And so, you know, that's, it's like my dual, like my competing uh, design desires for like okay do i care about this this is probably not that big of a deal if he's got like if he's drawing on the walls then yeah that's a problem i'm gonna nip that in the bud but if he just like wants to go play with some dirt i'm gonna let it because it's keeping him busy for like an hour so i'm like yeah exactly it's things like that yeah it becomes the part where you you learn you teach them like okay you can jumping in puddles is good maybe when we're not dressed up for an outing yeah, at grandma's exactly. house yeah <laughs> so yeah it's like yeah and you learn you know it, it's just a process you learn along the way and you know relating it back to fiction um becoming a mother made writing mothers far more genuine and you know all of my stories in some way or another these are because you know set in history these women were all bound to marry at some point it was it was their destiny and so learning learning that um and learning the challenges of motherhood made it all possible because yeah. i don't think i'd be able to write this brand of fiction if i had never parented a child absolutely yeah absolutely it helps you get into that mindset for sure um and just mm-hmm. to be more authentic and to understand it for definitely. sure yeah. Um, I kind of want to touch on, 
do a lot of your um your his historical pieces are they set in France because it seems like oh, you have a, a little lot bit of, of a them. theme here yeah is there yeah, any particular a particular reason I have a master's degree in French okay so there you go <laughs> and you know the the feminine immigrant it sounds like a weird topic for a book but the women emigrating from France to Canada in the 1600s was a topic of my master's thesis okay and I want I went in wanting to write a novel for my master's thesis. And they said, no, you can't write a novel for your thesis, but we'll let you write the thesis. But I got, I won this amazing grant, went to Canada and I was able to squirrel away research for that book, which oh, I'd already awesome. started picking up and dropping off for a number of years. And then I finally finished it after I finished my master's. Um, and, you know, with a lot of the others, you know, they're set either, well, so there are a couple set in Germany, but um, a lot of the books have some at least tangential relationship to France just because it's where I studied. I lived for France in two years and I figure that I can write about it really authentically and I love the culture. I love the language. And so it's just a natural place for me to kind of um, to land as an author. And um, of course, you know, my first contemporary is set in France and my next contemporary likely will at least be about quarter in France. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. I love that. Mm -hmm. I find that so fascinating because like, it's not just people in America that do that. It's like people around the world who will travel elsewhere to, to study and to learn other things. So I just think it's so interesting. And then even that, um, will influence like you could have fallen in love in France. You know what I mean? You who mm-hmm. knows how how your life would have turned out if you decided yeah, to very just, differently. if you set down roots there, right? It's I mm-hmm. think that's so cool. Yeah, the possibility. So then is that did you did you take on baking too while you were there or you just got your experience in, in the pastries? Yeah, yeah. I, I got my experience in the baking the bakeries instead of actually baking. Um yeah. <laughs> you know my host mom wasn't much of a she was an amazing cook, but she wasn't much of a baker, I don't think. Okay. She baked the occasional cake. Um but it wasn't like her, her big thing. Um, but, you know, of course, every, you know, every, that's the, like the first place every French uh, American student goes when they go to France, like, let's find the nearest boulangerie and, you know, eat our weight in pastries. Yeah. And, <laughs> um, you know, and I always enjoyed baking before, you know, but I like Toll House cookies, things in, you know, uh, in a very simple way. Yeah. But I became more adventurous as, you know, when I got back and got my own kitchen and things like that. Yeah. Um, you know, to quote Julie and Julia, it's really, you know, the, there's something soothing about going into the kitchen and mixing, you know, butter and sugar and chocolate and eggs and knowing it's going to get thick, you're going to get a cake and it's soothing. And so that's something that I think that's why it resonates with a lot of readers is, you know, the whole process of baking or eating baked goods is rather soothing because there's a lot of science to it. Yeah. And it can be therapeutic, just the -hmm. physical movements and, and learning. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Like, and and then even so kind of like tapping into uh Lisette's mentality of like discovering like oh what if i tried this what if i tried that mm-hmm. you know it's things here and there it's kind of like well what do you gravitate towards right like it's yeah i i love that and i like my dad he was like a big big into cooking but like you like not so much into baking um but i think it's it's a therapeutic uh, way for him to just like like a hobby it's something that interests him and and something that has like a tangible result right like he's making something yeah. that that has something like a finished result that you can you can see enjoy the fruits of your labor and share it with others and provide and it's an ex- and- it's an expression of love um yeah you know my husband knows i love him because i make him chocolate cheesecake and um <laughs> yeah that's one of my trademark recipes and i do share recipes on my blog and on social media um so i'm doing that kind of every week with a bakery in Paris. 
But, you know, like I say in the book, food is sometimes, you know, simple nourishment. Sometimes it's, um, you know, it, but sometimes it's an apology. Sometimes it's an expression of love. And, you know, my husband loves my chocolate cheesecake. So I make one every month and we eat it very slowly. Yeah. Um, and, you know, when I, when we were dating, I would bring a cake to his parents' house because they would host us at their house. And I would bring a cake as a thank you for letting me stay in their home. Um, and, you know, I think that there's something, you know, important um, about giving baked goods, um, yeah. you know, because it's a, it really is an expression of affection. Exactly. And it was something that you made yourself versus like stopping at the store to. to Absolutely. You know. Yeah. I love that. Oh, that's awesome. I know I, I kept I. I definitely get, did get a hankering for some flaky treats when I was reading through the, the bakery at Paris. So it was like, because I was thinking, I was like, oh, how brave do I feel to like try any of this out for myself? We'll see. It depends because anything that's more than like six ingredients, I, I'm just like, I don't know. Plus, it like takes yeah. so much work. It's just a lot of work. And it's, it's it is. It is. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. you know, and if, if things don't, and it, and it also takes longer than you think it will, because especially if you're trying Always. out like a new recipe for the first time. It's yeah, trial and trial and error and new techniques. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, if it were up to me, like Costco would be selling this next to the croissants. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Like, yeah, absolutely. They would be Um, because it really is a book that will make you hungry. Um, You know, the cover alone, the cover alone. But it really does go back to the importance, you know, the bakery is the social hub of Paris. Everybody goes to the bakery every day. Yeah. They have the bakery that they frequent. They have their alternate bakery if the one is closed. Um, you know, it's just the way they are. And um, I was one of my jobs when I was uh, living in France for the host family was to stop and buy bread every day and on the <laughs> way home. And that's just, you know, it's just how it was. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. I get, yeah. I, I imagine that helped you also just kind of get more, even more immersed in that culture just to learn how the locals live. It's, you know, send you on the, on the daily bread run. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, so when you say that you do like the recipes, I think I saw you on um, Instagram. I saw one of your videos of you doing, um, mm-hmm. one of the red. So then do you do like the re- just random recipes or for the bakery in Paris? Or have you been trying to focus on the recipes that you feature in your book or you, or you add? kind of like more. both yeah yeah okay. both um you know it because i've done some of the banner ones like the sable i've done the rose hip ja- or the rose petal jam which is a very special recipe um that's not a carême that's my own kind of invention um mm-hmm. and um you know the and we'll you know we'll experiment with some of the we did clafoutis which is a very mm-hmm. classic french dish but also i did my chocolate cheesecake because i can i'm sassy yeah and we're gonna um <laughs> I'm doing next week is quiche Lorraine, which isn't featured in the book, but every bakery worth its salt has quiche on the menu. Um, it's one of the savory dishes and it's a great weeknight dinner. Um, so oh, that's okay. coming up on Tuesday. Um, and it'll be on my <laughs> blog plus a little teaser video on social. And, um, you know, and I'll probably do like some like technique videos too, how to make your own vanilla at home. Um, that's probably going to come up soon. So yeah, various things, but I do want to cover most of the recipes in the book. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I feel like, yeah, that even adds to like, it just, it just really emphasizes, I bet, like, while you're doing this, you know, mm-hmm. it, it really makes what they had to go through during that time period more impressive to make what they made. You know, it was yeah, like, absolutely. resources and ingredients were so hard to come by at certain points and, or, the, yeah. or, 
if you had money or you had connections, you know, then maybe not. But yeah, for any like run of the mill bakery, it was like, it makes it more impressive knowing what they had to go through to just make a bread, you know, like just to get the ingredients to make a simple loaf. So uh, this is like a two part question. Um, What were the most challenging parts to write and then the most enjoyable parts to write? Um, well, you know, the challenging part actually didn't end up in the book. I was going to have it be a triple timeline with um, a 1990s timeline oh, okay. um, with the great, the great whatever degree granddaughter coming back to reopen the bakery after the grandmother had shut it down after her husband died. And um, it was going to be great. I love the character, but I could not get that character off the ground. She refused to be written. She wants her own book. And so Veronica's (laughs) going to get her own book doing something different. Yay! And yeah. And yeah, she's sassy. She wanted her own thing. And I was able to take some of those elements and put them in the memory of Lavender and Sage. Um, but yeah, that was, it was just, I tried writing her first chapter like four different times. I ended up uh, emailing my editor, Tessa. I can't, I asked her, can I, can I just ditch this third timeline and focus on the first two? And she said, absolutely. And so to give it balance, I just expanded the recipe section and it worked really well. And I did things a little differently in that I wrote all of Lisette first. And then I wrote Micheline. I'm like, I'm pretty much out of book. I just ended up expanding Micheline and adding in more recipes and it worked out oh perfect perfect and then um the most enjoyable parts to write um gosh most of it this is this book was really (laughs) the book that um you know some but all books have their challenges to be sure um but it really this was one of the two books i've written that really seemed to flow really really well that and girls on the line were the two that really flowed well so um so much of it was a joy to write but doing the research and learning about this more obscure period of French history, the Paris Commune was fascinating. I bet it was exciting for you to find something different, like find something new yeah, and fresh for, sure. for you, for someone who is just like all, you know, who's very well versed in French, you know, French life. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay. Kind of another two-parter. What advice would you give to Lisette? What advice would you give to Micheline? Okay, so to Lisette, I would tell her to don't be afraid and that she's on the right path and um, that her ideals are more important than comforts. To Micheline, I would tell her to just trust herself. And I would tell her to be strong. And that I know that she's going through a lot. And um, it's okay to break down a little bit. But she's going to make it. She's going to pull through. And she's stronger than she thinks she is. I love that. That's almost like any advice you would give to like any woman in her position, right? Like, you mm-hmm. got this. Don't worry. I know this is hard. You can do it though. Like it's, <laughs> it's just, um, do you know, have you thought about maybe like what advice Lizette would give to, to Micheline? Like as the old, you know, as the matriarch per se. Yeah. Just the, the importance of loving the neighborhood and being a boon to the neighborhood and um, looking out for your neighbor is the most important gift she can give her community and being part of the community is the best thing she can do for herself. Yeah. I love that. I love that. And it's so important. Like once you realize that it's that circle of, of support, it's your support mm-hmm. circle. Yeah, absolutely. Cause it's, and it's, it's at the camaraderie and it's, it's that shared experience and, and people who understand it, like, you know, better than it, almost anybody else that you, you know, that just like, I feel like any like neighbor would understand the life better than like, you know, your family member in another state or another part mm-hmm. of the country. Right. It's, it's, Absolutely. What do you hope uh, readers get out of this story? 
Um, a lot. I, I hope they learn a bit about the, you know, the Paris Commune and the history surrounding the siege of Paris from, you know, on an intellectual level and the importance of community and how the community did rally and Paris being this big city, neighborhood by neighborhood, how important it was and learning about the women taking control of the cannons. That was absolutely taken from fact. Yeah. Um, yeah. They were I badass. They, 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 they told the troops who fed you. Yeah. Who took care of you this morning? Was it your general? No, they forgot the horses. We stayed here. We fed you. Are you going to fire guns on us? Are you going to side with us? And they refused to take up arms against the women of Montmartre. Absolutely happened. That's amazing. Um, yeah. And I, I hope that they, they see the bravery of those women and, you know, the importance of family and community um, is, you know, the, the big theme there and finding agency. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I love that. That's so cool that that was, man, at the end of the day, it's like women do get shit done. It's like, <laughs> yeah, we do. Yeah, we do. And they did. So they did. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. That's amazing. That just like make makes me even like more interested in, I don't know. It's like those little tidbits like that, like, like kind of remind me of like why I'm interested. I, I so entertained by historical fiction. That's so cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so Amy K. Runyon, what is next? You kind of touched on this before. You were, what are you working on that you could talk about? Um, well, The Memory of Lavender and Sage is my first contemporary coming out on February 13, 2024. It's in the bag working on first pass pages right now. Um, so it's in the final stages. But my next historical, likely coming in September-ish of 2024, is called Mademoiselle Eiffel, another French mm-hmm. book set about 10 years after Lisette's time frame. It's 1880. In Paris, and it's a story of Claire Eiffel, um, the daughter of the guy who built the Eiffel Tower. Oh, um, okay. who took o- yeah, who took over as his right hand woman after her mom died when she was 14. And she takes over helping to raise her four younger brothers and sisters oh. and, um, re- helping to run the business. And, you know, it was a heck of a storied life. And I am excited to be able to tell her story. That's awesome. Oh man, you just you it feels like you've just got you got them sitting in the back burner like you're ready for this story, you're ready for this story. Okay, let's do this yeah. one now. That's awesome. I got the there's no lack of material for for someone like you who who knows about untold stories, right? Or like lesser known stories. That's so yeah. that's that's so fun. Well, f- feel free to come back any, you know, talk about more of those books and more of those titles that you got coming up. Um where can we find you online and on social media? Um, www.amykrunyon.com is my website where you can find all of my links to social and my recipes and all that great stuff, upcoming events. And then I am on Facebook at, at Amy K. Runyon on Facebook and Twitter. Um, I refuse to call it anything else. It's yeah. Twitter <laughs> and, um, at bookish Amy on Instagram. Yes, and that's A I M I E. It's a weird. Yeah, spelling. I know. I did notice. That. I think I I accidentally misspelled your name a couple times, but I corrected it. But either way, yeah, I was like, I, I definitely recommend um, for listeners to go check out check you out on Instagram because there's some fun stuff going on there for sure. Thank you. Uh, yeah, Amy K Runyon, a bakery in Paris. It's available now. Um, I definitely recommend it, especially if you like me who love historical fiction and if you are into the foodie life, the pastry life, the French life they will hit all those points for you. Um, thank you so much. It was such a fun conversation. And like I said, you, you know, feel, feel free to come back when, if you feel like it, if you want to talk some more about your other titles. Sounds great. Thank you for having me. 
And there you go. That was Amy K. Runyon talking about a bakery in Paris. That book is available now. Check out the show notes for links to find her online and where to purchase the book. Uh, read my book reviews on thenerdcantina.com. Follow us on social media, The Nerd Cantina and Cantina Book Club. If you need um, book recommendations, go ahead and check out my book reviews, like I said. And if you do read a book and you love it, go ahead and hop on over to Goodreads and Amazon and give them a rating and a review. It really does help the authors out. And as always, thank you guys so much for listening.